And isn't this good? I mean, whoa. I mean, you, you enjoying it? Well, tell your face. Amen. I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, this is a blessing. I'll tell you what. I, and thank you for reading the account, the history of the church. You know, I enjoyed Brother Ken's testimony. If you ever had testimony meetings, I'm sure you have. And you hear people, you know, give the testimony how they got saved and how God worked in their life, or in this case, brought them to where they are, you know. And you say, oh, what a blessing. And, uh, but your church has a testimony, too. And that's great to hear the testimony of the church and that it continues on and reaches to the far parts of the world, really, letting us in the country. But uh, 43 years of God's goodness here, and uh, what a testimony. And you kind of took me back, started talking about the Christian school issue. Of course, I was in the midst of that battle there in Nebraska. And uh, I tell you what, it's a sobering experience. I was in a meeting where the state police came in and drug us out and threw us out of the church and locked the church. I'm not talking about in North Korea. I'm not talking about in China. I'm talking about in Nebraska, USA. Well, I think it was kind of a dress rehearsal for things coming down the pike. Because if 43 years of your testimony continues for the next however many years, and I don't think it's too far down the road in our country. Your faith is going to be tested in more ways than you would really prefer it to be so. But having done all, stand. Amen. And, uh, and God gave a victory there in Nebraska. And I remember Brother Williams being there. Preachers from all over the country came. And uh, it's pretty incredible. But uh, anyway, you know we're haters. That's how the world defi defines us. And we're not politically correct. You can say amen. It's a good thing. Most important, you want to be scripturally correct. When you're scripturally correct, it kind of flies in the face of the unsaved world. And, and Jesus made this statement. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And they do. Okay, and so some of that hatred is going to spill over into some physical persecution that we as Americans have been kind of immune to over the years, but it's coming our way. All right, enough of that. That's another message. <laughs> How many of you ever heard the name A.V. Henderson? He's a pretty well-known preacher. He's in heaven now. Powerful preacher, but he was known, you could set your watch, he would preach for 20 minutes, power-packed 20 minutes. Well, I just want you to know I am not A.V. Henderson. <laughs> if there are visitors here this morning, uh, I'm, not, I'm a visitor too. I'm not real familiar. I know they've been changing the schedule all up. So. <laughs> but normally churches get, around, get out around noon. It ain't happening today. <laughs> And this is a special service, okay? I'm going to cut you some slack. Uh, that's why it's not going to get out right that. This is a special service. And it's, so, it's such an enjoyable thing. I just want to enjoy it for a time more, okay? So with that in mind, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, <clears throat> I was going to introduce this by saying uh, 
turn to one of the most well-known prophetical books in the New Testament. And most people start turning to the book of the Revelation, you know. This is a prophetical book, too, okay? Uh, I want to read a passage uh, beginning at verse, verse number 12 in first, the first chapter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, begin at verse 12. The Apostle Paul, speaking of himself here, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, <laughs> of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice. It's, it's been so good this whole week, but today kind of the capstone, the crescendo, if you will, as we've moved to this time of rejoicing in your goodness and your grace and your sovereignty. Some testimonies here, how you work in amazing ways to bring people to the place of salvation, to a place of service. And uh, Lord, all of it again, a tribute to, as Paul makes mention here, Lord, to your goodness, your long-suffering, your grace. We just praise you for it all. And may this church only continue on. And that's their theme. That's their focus here this week. They would just continue steadfastly in the faith. So may the service just now be used in that way to both encourage and challenge and reinforce, certainly even bring conviction, I pray. Maybe there is someone here who's never trusted you as their Savior. I, I can't help but think already the songs and the testimony and just the spirit here would be that which you have already used to really speak to their heart. But I pray it would continue now as the Word of God is preached, and Lord, that it might bring them to the point where they'd fully understand and then have the determination to act upon what you would have them act upon, the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we commit the service to you now, thankful that we can, and looking forward to what you're going to do now in our midst. We'll praise you and thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> the Word of God is a resource. It's a library, really. You know, we say 66 books. Well, I'm not talking about the books themselves, I'm talking about the resource of knowledge, wealth, of wisdom that's here. Someone has said the Word of God speaks to any topic, any subject you want to go to. But there is what I call a primary message of the Word of God. And it's shot throughout the Word of God. Let me, let me just kind of give you a sampling of it as, as we get to what the main message I want to bring here this morning. But the primary message of the Word of God, again I say spoken to again and again, starts clear back in Genesis. A great statement was made by Abraham, our spiritual forefather, he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. In Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. How about this one, Isaiah 53, familiar with this one, verse 5 and 6, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements 
of our chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I like Jonah chapter 2. Jonah had some problems, but he made a great theological statement. I call it uh, Theology 101 when he made this statement. Salvation is of the Lord. (laughs) John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He came into his own, speaking of the Lord Jesus, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1, 29. The next day, John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John three sixteen. Anybody ever heard of that one? For God so loved the world. Come on, join me here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10, for with the... That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So again, the primary message that is shot throughout the word of God, and Paul focuses on it and rehearses it again here. Look at verse number 15 in our text. This is a faithful saying. He's speaking again, faithful because it's been the testimony throughout the scripture and and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and then he personalizes it by saying of whom I am chief. Paul knew full well what God had saved him from and he just kind of personally recognized if God can save me, he'll save anybody and he will. Amen. 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 But the primary message is that which he's emphasizing here. And I want to emphasize again this morning. Look again at what he says there. The first thing he says, this is a faithful saying. The message of salvation, which is again throughout the word of God, is a faithful message. It's throughout the word of God. We've got faithful propagation by faithful preachers throughout the word of God who've preached it again and again and again. And many times when it wasn't seasonal, it was out of season, when there were times when it was in season, but faithful preachers that preached it consistently and faithfully. I think of the the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. I got the greatest respect for that man of God. Forty years of nothing. (laughs) I'm talking about preaching faithfully. I'm talking about saying, thus saith the Lord, and bringing it before the king and the people. And he did it for 40 years, and nobody responded. If it was some national, biblical uh, newspaper today, the sword of the Lord or something, you wouldn't read his messages in there (laughs) because people would say he was a failure. He had no no impact, you could say. Oh, Oh, really? Oh, really? No, his impact is felt yet today. Thank God for faithful preachers like Jeremiah the prophet. How about in the New Testament, a man like Stephen? 
Man, you talk about gun barrel straight and head high preaching. Whoa, baby. I mean, he got right in the face of that Sanhedrin. He told them, the, the, the one, the crucified one, the one that the Lord sent the Messiah, you have hated him and you've crucified him. I mean, he got in their face. And boy, they responded kindly. I mean, rabid. I mean, they were literally rabid. <laughs> they bit on him, the Bible says. And of course, you know, they took him out and stoned him. But I'm telling you, he preached it faithfully. Amen. It wasn't a matter about him being accepted. It was the fact that they accept the truth, and he preached the truth. So thank God for faithful preachers, countless others. Uh, the Hall of Faith kind of makes mention in a general sense, says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, and then like I said, what it says, of whom the world is not worthy. We're debtors here today. Come on. The truth didn't come to us at a small price. <laughs> it came to us at a great price. Thank God there were some faithful soldiers. We just came through Veterans Day and made mention of the fact. Come on, as Americans, we're debtors. Freedom's not free. Well, spiritual freedom isn't either. And that God has preserved that we can hear the truth today is because, because of faithful preachers. Right up to today, thank God for the pastor you had. <laughs> Made mention you came here, Brother Ken, and wanting to hear the gospel, and you weren't disappointed. Amen. Amen. Come on, you're going to hear the gospel today. Amen. And that's what the world needs to hear. Come on, that's the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to be preaching. That's what they need to hear. Come on. You ever think what America would be like if, say, 40% of our citizenry was saved? Think it might be different? How about 50%? How about 60%? If 60% of Americans knew what we knew as far as the truth and trusted Christ as our Savior, think it would be a different country? How about 100%? Oh, baby. That's God's vision to the uttermost Part. He wants everybody to know the truth. So thank God for faithful preachers that have propagated a faithful message. Of course, it's contained in faithful precepts. One of the great promises in the Word of God is in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Come on, preach the Word, Paul told Timothy. Why? Because this thing, you know, this is sharp. This thing's alive. This thing will do the job if we'll preach it. Amen. And so again, faithful precept, precepts that have to do with the faith, faithful message of the, of the Word of God. Maintained by faithful preservation. Somebody say amen. amen. God's watch care over His Word down through the centuries has again permitted that it's come to us today. Come on, petty tyrants of innumerable numbers down through the ages have tried to destroy this book. We don't have any of the original autographs today. You know why? Because the Roman government purposed to try to destroy it. They went to those churches where it was housed, like Ephesus, where the Ephesian letter was. I mean, the, lit the letter was there. They confiscated it, burned it. Tried they, they destroyed all of it. But come on, there's someone overseeing it. And he promised it shall not pass away. Amen. And so we have what we call the preserved word of God. 
I'll just throw this in for free. People say, well, we don't have the inspired word because we don't have the originals. Excuse me? You know, preservation is almost more miraculous than inspiration. And so we have the inspired word. Come on, it's the same. Every jot, every tittle. Get, get your theology straight for heaven's sake. We have the inspired word of God because God has preserved it for us today. Amen. Faithful message maintained in faithful preservation preservation and then declared as faithful principles psalm 19 9 the judgments of the lord are true and righteous altogether (laughs) you know say well some of this is true or most of it's true no it's all true thy word is truth jesus said yeah so a faithful message then he says this look look again back at verse 15 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation this is a message that's worthy of everybody accepting it And God intends for everybody to accept it. In fact, look over in chapter 2 there. Pick up in verse number number 3. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of of God our Savior. Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Skip down to verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Come on, God's always had the whole world in view. I touched on it a little bit this week. He intends for everybody to be saved. When he died on the cross, he paid the debt for everybody. Not just a select elect group. That's a damnable heresy. I like what my preacher David Cavan used to say. There is an election going on, he said. And God votes for you. Satan votes against you. And you cast the deciding vote. Amen. That's good. In a practical way, that's exactly right. Come on, God wants all men to be saved. I said he wants all men to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not sure of it and you're not convinced you are saved, you can be saved and you can be convinced of it on the authority and the truth of God's word. It's a message worthy of all acceptation, self-evident for the need of it being accepted is because we're stuck in a world that's full of sin. We live in sin conditions. Hello? The whole creation that reels because of the impact and the effect of the sin condition. It's interesting, a liberal outfit called People for the American Way. It's a liberal leftist outfit. A few years ago, they did a, they did a survey. It's interesting what they found. I'm talking about the crowd that wouldn't expect to get this, but they sent out this survey. <clears throat> asking people what they believe to be the root cause of Americans, America's problems today. 60% of the re- responses they got said a loss or decline of moral absolutes. Did you pick up that? Not just moral standards, no, moral absolutes. That crowd doesn't even like that word absolute. They think there's nothing absolute. (laughs) There's absolute truth. Come on. And there's absolute moral standards. It's preached it the other night. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His standards have not changed because he doesn't change. And so again, interestingly, 60% believed in our country today a loss of moral absolutes was a part of America's decline. I said it, I think, the other night. America would be a pretty nice place if it wasn't for people. Because with people comes the sin nature. 
And again, boy, it's rocking us today. Okay. But God's got an answer for it. Amen. He had an answer before he even created the earth. Amen. It's the salvation message, this faithful Amen. message. God had a program and a plan. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. Yeah. That's the answer. So again, I say, America would be a different place if people were saved. Well, come on, judgment begins at the house of God. God help us to be the ones that make the difference because God expects for us to be the ones to make the difference. The commission's not to the world to preach the gospel. The commission's to us as believers through the local New Testament Baptist, Baptist church. Amen. We're supposed to be about it. Evangelizing, getting the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's an essential. Come on. If anything's going to change, it ain't going to come from Washington, D.C., it's going to come from God and God's book and God's work and God's, and God's people's lives, okay? It's an essential. It's a must. I think Jesus used that terminology when he's talking to Nicodemus. <laughs> you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus, I know the Pharisees, as a, for the most part, were a bunch of hypocrites, dead men's bones. We know Jesus gave the, the description of them. But I think Nicodemus was a little bit of an exception to the rule. I think he was sincerely trying to keep the law and trying to what he thought was right so he could have standing before God. But guess what he was experiencing? Failure <laughs> on, the, on, on a big scale. And so he snuck over, didn't want his colleagues to know. He went over to Jesus by night and he said, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Basically what he asked. Lord, we know you're a teacher sent from God, but no man can do the works that thou do us except God be with him. God, Jesus cut to the chase. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. <clears throat> Years ago, John Wesley, the old Methodist preacher, Back then, the Methodists preached the gospel. We had some differences with them on a few things, but not on the gospel. They preached it straight. In fact, John Wesley was known for constantly preaching the gospel. And he would preach John 3 most of the time, and he'd hammer on, you must be born again, you must be born again. I mean, his messages would be chock full of the admonition and the exhortation and the charge, you must be born again. His colleagues took him aside one time after he preached and said, John, We've heard you preach a thousand times, it seems like, because you never change your message. You're always preaching, you must be born again. Why do you always preach, you must be born again? You know what he said? Because you must be born again. That's why. You... <laughs> Amen. And you must be. Come on. It's not, well, I'm hoping I live a good life. No, you must be born again. It's an essential. <clears throat> I like the fact it's simple. I'm kind of a simple kind of guy. Thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. You know what that, I gave that quote in John, or Romans 10. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a, it's a mouth and heart exercise. Two parts to it. You say it, but you don't just say it, because you can say anything. You mean it with your heart. Salvation is a heart experience. It's a heart transformation. And when you do that, Thou shalt be saved. You confess, I'm a sinner, you're the Savior, I have no hope without you. You died in my place for my sin and you've offered me the gift of eternal life and you, and you want everybody to be saved and I'm, everybody, I'm among the everybody. So Lord, I'm trusting your word, I'm, I'm calling upon you, I'm telling you I'm a sinner, I admit to that and I'm asking you to save me. I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you come to me, I will save you. Coming to me, oh, you labor in heavy labor. I'll give you rest. He'll provide the need, but you've got to come. Yeah. Message worthy of all acceptation. It's interesting he uses that word acceptation because you have to accept it. Mm -hmm. 
So say, well, Jesus died for the whole world and the whole world saved. No, he paid the price for the whole world to be saved. But the whole world needs to hear that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. And so he said, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they're sent? So come on, it comes back to us. We have a responsibility to get the message to them. And then once they hear the message, the ball's in their court. Because they have to accept it. It's a personal relationship that you accept on a personal basis. And then look at this back there in our text. It's a message that Christ came to save sinners. That Christ came to save sinners. He came, I think somebody alluded to it a moment ago. Christmas coming up here. I like like the fact it's still a national holiday. I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but I've always said I think Christmas ought to always come on Sunday. (laughs) Today's the Lord's Day. We think about the Lord coming, you know, you ought to celebrate. Fourth of July ought to come on Sunday too. (laughs) He came. He did come. All of human history is defined by Jesus coming. Do you know that? It's called B.C. and A.D. I get kind of tickled when I think about those communists and the leftists and the atheists. Whenever they write a letter and they put their date on there, it's the year of our Lord. Yes, sir. Amen. Praise his name. He came. I I don't know about you. I get these little things on my phone now and then. how smart are you in history, or you know, or how many '50s and '60s cars can you, you know, can you describe or recognize? I think I'm pretty smart, so, and I love history. So, particularly American history, I'll take some of those little tests, you know. But I had one. I didn't. I didn't even have to go to it. I, I knew. I mean, I went to it because I want to just kind of just justify, prove what I believed was going to be the case. This one was. I think it was 15 well-known people in history that there's no real evidence they even existed. Guess where that's going. (laughs) Yeah, guess where that's going. So that's what I said, okay. I mean, right at the top, first one mentioned, Jesus of Nazareth. No real evidence that he even existed. Excuse me. And I know we have all the biblical evidence and we have all the spiritual evidence and the impact of the gospel on the world. But it was interesting. Uh, there's, some, there's some secular evidence. I'm talking about in world history. In fact, let me just take time to read this to you. It's, it's pretty neat. This guy's name is Russell Siebert. He's a professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University. So we're talking about secular college, secular vocation, if you will, a secularist, you could say. And he talks about Josephus. And, of course, Josephus is one of the great extra-biblical evidences of a lot of things that the Bible talks about in the New Testament and Old Testament. He makes mention of him. He says, Josephus, this is a quote from this this professor, Josephus has always been deemed a crucial extra-biblical resource since his writings not only correlate well with the Old and New Testaments, but often provide additional evidence on such personalities as Herod the Great and his dynasty, John the Baptist, Jesus' half-brother James, the high priests of Annas and Caiaphas and their clan, 
Pontius Pilate, and others. Against this background, we should certainly expect that he would refer to Jesus of Nazareth, and he does, twice in fact. In Antiquities, 18, 18 like chapter and verse, 18, verse 63, in the middle of information on Pontius Pilate, who ruled from A.D. 26 to 36. Josephus provides the longest secular reference to Jesus in any first century source. Later, when he reports events from the administration of the Roman governor Albinus, who ruled from 62 to 64 A.D., in Antiquities, his record that he wrote, Josephus, he again mentions Jesus in connection with the death of Jesus' half-brother, James the Just of Jerusalem. These passages, along with other non-biblical, non-Christian references to Jesus in secular first century sources, among them Tacitus, Suetonius, and Pliny the Younger, prove conclusively, listen to this now, prove conclusively that any denial of Jesus' historicity is maundering sensationalism by the uninformed and or the grossly dishonest. Yeah, amen's the word. (laughs) That's exactly right. A bunch of liars. I've often said that about creation. Come on, these science so-called. If these scientists so-called were honest with us, they would tell us, well, I may not believe creation, but I'll have to tell you this. There's more evidence for that than there is for anything else. Come on, the evidence is overwhelming. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. There's all kinds of testimony to God's truth. We, I'm glad we have the source. We have the truth. But there's other outside sources that only confirm. I've used the thing of some of the archaeology and people digging in the dirt. You know, For years they said there was you know, the Hittite Empire. As the Bible describes it as a vast empire, they said, well, the Bible's wrong because there's no evidence at all that the Hittite Empire... As the Bible describes it. Well, guess what? Bing! They found it. I think it was like 1927. Guess guess how it was. Duh. (laughs) It's just like the Bible described it. Well, come on. You can go down the history of mankind. Mankind espouses some great statement about what we know, only to find out later (laughs) we were wrong. Earth is flat. Anybody thinks the world's anything other than flat is a knothead. Well, God talks about the circumference of the earth. (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, for one thing to the next, it's been wrong, 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 wrong. Have to redefine and reassess what we thought we knew because we didn't know. But if you go back with God, he's right, 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 right. Come on, bozo. You don't have to be too smart. To come to the point and say, you know, I think I'll just cast my lot with God. Because <laughs> he's always right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. He came. Then, then he came. Who came? Well, it says there, Christ Jesus came. Who's Christ Jesus? The Messiah. The promised one. The deliverer. The Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You talk about excitement. All of heaven was jumping up and down. It spilled over to those, <laughs> those shepherds there on the hills of Judea. And they're going, whoa, baby. All of heaven's saying, I'm telling you, this is the most greatest event in world history. Jesus is born. The Savior has come. Amen. Yeah. I take a little 
pride. You know, Jesus is a Greek name. It's a Gentile name. Well, he's the king of the Jews. I'm, I'm here to tell you. I understand who he is. But I like the fact he has a Gentile name, Jesus. It's Christ Jesus. Christ is the Messiah. That's the Jewish emphasis, the spiritual, prophetic, all-inclusive emphasis. He's the Savior to the Gentiles, too. <laughs> Come on, he's our Savior. He's my Messiah, too. Amen. He came. Christ Jesus came. And then he came. Well, why did he come? Let me just throw this in. We're just about done here. <clears throat> if you went around to most of, most of the church, I'd say probably 90% of the churches in Rapid City today, as a rule, I mean, there might be a little bit of variance to some degree, but as a rule, here's what you'd hear. Here's their message. Live a good life. Do the best you can. Be a good neighbor, be a good husband, father, whatever. And when you get to heaven, there's a big scale up there. And God's got this scale, and on one side, he'll put your good, and on the other side, he'll put your bad. You want to have a few venial sins, but you don't want to have any mortal sin. <clears throat> and God's going to weigh this thing up there, and you're going to kind of keep your fingers crossed and hope your good outweighs your bad. And if it's good, then you're good, and you're in. Nowhere in here. I said nowhere in here. In fact, to the contrary, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. If you're wanting all your good put on one side, I got bad news for you. You don't have any good. We're in big trouble. <laughs> Which is why the angel said, good news, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. <clears throat> I've always put it this way. If I could get to heaven by a list of do's and don'ts and filling that out right, then why did Jesus bother coming? I'll go you one better. Why did he die on the cross? What kind of an exercise in futility is that if I can live good enough, if I can be good enough to get to heaven? Well, again, I can't. And I have no hope. As Diana said, where would I be without grace? I don't even want to think about it. I'll tell you where I'd be. I'd be lost and hopeless and undone and condemned forever. That's what I'd be. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, your Savior, that is on you right now. The Bible says you're condemned already. Now, I'm not trying to be rude or cruel or mean or anything. I'm just giving you the truth. I'm telling you, you're under the penalty of death because of your sin condition. And don't say, well, I'm not too bad. Oh, really? Go down the list of the Ten Commandments. I always get a little tickled on that, a visiting, door-knocking people. So I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Oh, great. Can you name them for me? Well, <laughs> well, you're living by them. Well, yeah, yeah. I just can't remember all of them right now. Well, I think you'd want to. If, if that's how you're getting to heaven, you better know all of them. You ever lie? No, you just did. Here's the bad news. You break it in one point, you're guilty of it all. One time. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? Come on, go down the list. Here's a good one. <laughs> Committing adultery. Well, I haven't done that. 
Well, Jesus said, I'll tell you what, if you've looked on a woman to lust after in your heart, you're guilty of it. Come on, we know who we are. Get that smile off your face. Come on, we know who we are. We're sinners. There's none righteous. Come on, there's none righteous. No, not one. We're all sinners. We're all condemned. We're all under the judgment of God. And we have no hope because we can't save ourselves. But God loved us. He so loved the world. Come on, you know the verse. I heard you quote it. He so loved us that what? He sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said it again. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, Paul said it well, didn't he? This is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then I like what he says, of whom I'm chief. Chief, you talk about a, a conscious recognition of where he is and where he was. He knew well <laughs> the mercy and the grace it took to save him. He said, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. You know, Stephen, the great martyr I made mention of preaching that message, Paul heard that message. He never got over that message. Hard for thee, Saul, to kick against the pricks. Holy Spirit's taking that message, and Saul knew, boy, he's getting close to me. He never got over it. And he got saved there on the road to Damascus. I wish everybody got saved, get saved like Saul got saved. Amen. Amen. I mean, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, inside, outside. You talk about a convert. Oh, baby. Well, I think God expects it to be the case for all of us. It's supposed to be transforming. Yeah. Well, in Paul, he said, of whom I'm chief. It's worthy of all. Come on. Everybody can be saved. Everybody not, may not be as bad as I am, and I've often said to folks, they say, I got this loved one, I've witnessed to him for years, and it just seems like I'm getting nowhere. I said, listen, you don't know what's going on inside of them. Those Christians then, when Saul got saved, they didn't even believe it. They said, it's a ploy. He's trying to get, draw us out so he can find us. His Barnabas had to bring him and prove to him, I'm telling you, he got saved, and then he gave his testimony. And they're still like, <laughs> Really? No wonder Jesus himself had to win him. Even Ananias, you know, the Lord said, Saul's coming. And Ananias uh, said, Saul <laughs> of Tarsus? <laughs> Lord, we, we've heard a lot about this man. I don't know if I want to be around. No, he's not the same guy you know. I saved him. Ananias said, you did what? <laughs> and, of course, he witnessed it himself when Saul came. But anyway, Paul's making this statement. Come on, if Saul can get saved... Anybody can get saved. If Saul can get saved, everybody could get saved. Because God wants everybody to get saved. But come on. Paul had to be saved. Mother Mary had to be saved. Kids have to be saved. Moms have to be saved. Dads have to be saved. Grandmas and grandpas have to be saved. Gentiles have to be saved. Jews have to be saved. Pagans have to be saved. Christians have to be saved. Common citizens have to be saved. The president has to be saved. The outlaw and the criminal has to be saved. The sheriff and the police officer has, has to be saved. The Baptist preacher has to be saved. The Pope has to be saved. 
The wicked have to be saved. The righteous have to be saved. The Old Testament prophets had to be saved. New Testament apostles had to be saved. Come on, you have to be saved. We all have to be saved. We have no hope without the Savior. Do you know you're saved? I'm thankful that we can not only feel like we're saved, think we're saved, believe we're saved. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. We got a whole book here of promises preached on them Wednesday night, precious promises, that you can know you're saved. Not because of you, in spite of you and me. Come on, we're all saved the same way. By grace through faith, plus or minus nothing. It's all God's doing. Again, Jonah said it, salvation's of the Lord. You can't save yourself. Thank God he saves us, amen? And not only does he save us, then he takes care of it. We're not just safe. We're saved uh, for all of eternity. Do you know you're saved? If you're saved, then you know it, say amen. Aren't you glad you can know it? Listen, if perchance you're here this morning, I don't know, I don't, I'm new to this place. I don't know every face. I don't know everybody here. Even like in Jesus' day, there were some they thought were saved that weren't. Jesus made a statement at the Last Supper. He said, one of you here is going to betray me. They didn't all look down the table saying, yeah, I know it is. <laughs> now they said, is it I? They never suspicioned that Judas was a fraud. But he was. I wonder, God help us, Brother Brooks. I've heard preachers say this before. I I fear for when I get to heaven to find out how many of my church members were not saved. Just like Judas, you can look right, act like, talk right. You convince the most spiritual among the group that you're, you're the real deal. But you're a fraud. Two people at that table who knew he was a fraud. Judas knew he was a fraud. And Jesus knew he was a fraud. I'd suggest that this morning there might be someone, you, fool, you fooled everybody, but you haven't fooled yourself. And you know you haven't fooled God. Well, come on, we're talking about eternity, brother. You say, well, I don't want to embarrass myself. Really? You're going to spend eternity in hell because you didn't want to embarrass yourself? Something more important than keeping face. (laughs) It's being saved. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul for heaven's sake? Come on, enough already of what people think. You ought to care what God thinks. You ought to to care what the eternity is going to be. Come on. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Enough already of putting it off. Enough already of playing games and... uh, (laughs) A costume show. No, let's, let's get real with God and get it settled today. But maybe you're here and you know you're not saved. You, <laughs> you never heard the gospel in a clear, personal fashion as maybe you've heard it today or maybe it didn't register like it did today. Well, come on. Today's the day. Let's get it settled. Talking about men celebrating 43 years. How about celebrating eternity? <laughs> when you know you got salvation forever and it's a done deal. Let's bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this faithful saying.
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Every one of us ought to kind of join chorus with Saul, Paul, when he said, of whom I'm chief. No, move over, Paul. <laughs> I'm among them too. I am what I am by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me in spite of me. Thank you for loving me in eternal, unconditional love. Help someone here this morning that may not have acted upon that love to realize the importance and, and what, you're, what you're wanting right now. You made that statement there in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You're knocking on their heart's door. You're, you're wanting them to open up so that you might come into them and commune with them and them with you and have that relationship with you that you purchased with your own shed blood on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray you'd so convince them of their need today that today would be the day of salvation for any lost person here. God forbid that we close a service like we've had today in such rejoicing and such great blessings and things that we rejoice in. God forbid anyone would leave here today unsaved. That's not your will. I know it's not your will because the word of God says as much. So I pray, Lord, you'd woo them, draw them as only the Holy Spirit can. And for those that are saved, may it be a time that we just recommit ourselves to your cause and allow you to draw us closer to yourself and to conform us more to your image that the world might see Christ in us, which is the hope of glory, I pray. So speak to hearts now and do your work, and I'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.